You're listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others. Individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight, in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards. As we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, visit dcarts.dc.gov. Welcome to the 202 Studio. From the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, I'm Jeffrey Scott. Today, we're speaking with Nejla Yatkin. She is an award-winning and critically acclaimed choreographer, is a recent 2018 Drama Desk Award nominee, and a Princess Grace Choreography recipient. She's joining us by phone. Nejla, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this wonderful podcast. Where are you calling us from today? Chicago, is that correct? Uh, I live in Chicago, but I'm currently in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Oh, yes, it must be beautiful I was giving a, Oh, it's gorgeous. I was giving a workshop here at the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Company. It's a professional company based in Denver, and uh-huh. they have summer institutes. So I've been giving some master classes during my time here. Oh, that's great. So mm-hmm. you were in D.C. Uh, in the early 2000s. Um, and received a couple of grants from the commission, I know, about three grants. Um, Tell us what brought you to to D.C. uh, uh, as an artist. Um, I'm originally from Germany, Berlin, and I moved here to dance with the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Company here in Denver, which is a company that focuses on uh, mostly African-American choreographers' works uh, from like the old early 50s to now present. So it's a mixed repertory and I found it very interesting. So I wanted to dance with a company that uh, provided me with access to different choreographers so I could learn from them. Um, And then I got married and my ex-husband received um, uh, an offer at the University of Maryland College Park. And so we moved to Washington, D.C. And moving to Washington, D.C. in 2000, I then started working on my own choreography. And um, one of my first uh, pieces was actually supported by the Arts Fellowship, D.C. Commission Arts Fellowship. And uh, I had no idea of grant writing. Um, That was my first grant. And uh, it was, and I received it, and it just um, empowered me to continue as an independent choreographer. It's kind of like you're starting on your own. You have no idea how the whole uh, independent market goes, but then just um, how uh, supportive the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities was, um, it just kind of propelled my career and... um, yeah, empowered me in a way that I don't know if other places would have done that if I would have been in a different state. Had you done much choreography before coming here? Um, yes, I had. I I had choreographed in Germany before I moved. Uh, as a dancer, always I was interested in choreography. It wasn't like I was dancing and um, not interested. Some dancers just only dance, but I was doing both. Mm-hmm. I was choreographing and dancing at the same time. Um, and even in the company, 
professionally at Cleo Parker Robinson's. One of my last years, I choreographed a, a piece for the company that they then took around the world and the continent. And um, But I haven't done um, in the U.S. Um, an independent program myself before, just choreographing for others. So mm-hmm. I just did like a whole solo program in Washington, D.C. at Dance Place. And uh, I funded it with the D.C. Commission on the Arts um, Individual Artist Fellowship. Mm-hmm and presented it at Dent's place, and then it got a great review in the Washington Post. So everything sort of like fell into place. And so so was that, you consider that to be sort of really the jumping off point of of your career in D.C. at least? Yeah, as a choreographer, Mm -hmm. independent choreographer in D.C., that was my sort of like uh, jumping off career. And then from there, it's just... um, I got invited to um, present other places like the National Performance Network. And then that um, gave me access to international traveling. And um, and throughout my time in D.C., I got a lot of support from the D.C. Commission on the Arts. Um, three artist fellowships, I think two or three small project grants and um, two or three city arts grants. Mm. So... That was great. And that kind of also gave me visibility nationally, also getting reviews uh, reviewed in the Washington Post and led to reviews in Dance Magazine, led to reviews in the New York Times and uh, led to invitations to travel in mm. South America and Europe. And yeah, so um, D.C. was great for me as a, a starting artist, choreographer, independent, and also was um, hired then in 2001. Also, because I did my solo project and presented it in D.C., and the visibility then um, he, uh, invited me, uh, the U- University of Maryland uh, then also invited me to be part of their faculty. Mm. And so um, then I was also a professor there and got tenured in 2000 seven and yeah so so you can really trace a lot of activity back to that that initial uh project that initial choreography that you did yeah yeah that the commission was able to help support and that's uh, yeah that's wonderful uh really to, to hear um were you primarily when you were in Washington? Were you primarily uh, engaged as a as an independent choreographer, uh, aside from teaching at the university, uh, or were you continuing to dance as well with any companies? Um, I was also guesting with some companies in the early two thousands, but then later on, I got too busy to dance with other companies. But I was um, dancing, guesting with Rinconis and Company, and I guessed it with Carla. A st- dance company mm-hmm. and Carla Perlo mm-hmm. and um, who else? Cynthia Word, I guessed it was her in the very early 2000s for one project. Um, that's it, I think. Mm-hmm. What was what was the uh, the art scene, the dance scene, particularly like in Washington in the early 2000s? Uh, no, this is sort of when um, a lot of you know, new developments 
are starting to happen uh, in the city okay. with new building and and revitalization efforts, that sort of thing. So uh, what do you remember of, of the art scene and the dance scene in the city at the time? I think um, it was very vibrant, but small. Mm -hmm. Like everybody knew everybody after like a year or two, I knew everyone in DC and everybody knew me. So it was a, a diverse but small community. There was Giselle Mason's dance project. There was Elenius's um, dance project. Um, there was me. There was um, Cynthia Word had just moved. Also, um, City Arts were was not there yet. Um, there was Paul Emerson doing his company and. Uh, and then there were um, uh, Deborah Riley was still mm -hmm. choreographing and uh, performing, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the Step Africa was just uh, doing a lot of performances, and uh, the Dance Institute in uh, Washington they didn't have their a building that they have now. They were doing a bunch of projects and I was also guesting um, with them. I did some uh, guest, guesting with my own choreography in their program. Um, that's it. Mm -hmm. So I think so small that I can remember. Yeah. yeah. And, a and a lot of them were still around in, in some form or fashion. Uh, yes. Uh, and you started your own company as well. Is that correct? Yes, I did. I started um, a project-based company, um, and um, I did a, a group piece that was based um, on jazz music, and then I did a piece um, called Wall Stories about the Berlin Wall Project that was presented at um, Dance Place and the Kennedy Center, and then toured around uh, the country. Mm. And um, my dance company is still um, going and is still based in Washington, D.C. and Y2 Dance, but I'm, I've been focusing on more site-specific projects around the world, mm -hmm. and so um, I'm not really funding it out of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. because I'm not based there anymore, right. but the non-for-profit is still housed there. And so when, uh, when did you leave D.C.? In 2010, I left D.C. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us what were the reasons behind that move? Um, again, my ex-husband, okay. um, he got a, a great offer at the um, University of Notre Dame. Mm. And then we moved to Chicago. And then he continued moving on. Um, into another place um, uh, for his career. And then I stayed in uh, Chicago. How does Chicago compare to D.C. in terms of its arts and culture and dance scene in particular? Um, Chicago is uh, much bigger mm -hmm. and much more spread out. It's so much harder to get to know um, artists in Chicago. It took me a long time to figure out the scene mm -hmm. in Chicago. And I'm not doing a lot of work in Chicago. And the Arts Council in Chicago is not very, um, Chicago, Illinois is not very, very um, efficient or supported by 
uh, Illinois because also Illinois as a state is broke and they froze the Arts Council the last two years. There was no money mm. and they were not giving any fellowships or any. Um, but to, uh, this year they opened it up um, and uh, they are functioning again. Um, so I missed the Commission on the Arts and Humanities. <laughs> and I was like, wow, why? It's sort of interesting that not every state is functioning um, on the same level mm. here in the US. I'm still learning that too, as a, uh, a non, um, as a non-American. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm American. Sorry, I. I yeah. <laughs> so in in Chicago, then with if you don't have as much access um, to to the state funding or the the state arts council doesn't yeah. have as much, uh, you know, ability to give necessarily as, as we do in DC. Uh, what is the what is the private sector funding look like? Do you are you able to get donations from foundations or corporate sponsorships or anything like that to make up the difference? Or yeah, I the last couple years I've um, gotten grants from the Princess Grace because I'm a Princess Grace fellow mm -hmm. and to do my own work, and then I've gotten um, from the Jay Pritzker Foundation. I got support and matching grants. Uh, and um, but not so much from the state. And then there's the uh, fellowship um, that is given uh, to uh, artists, um, female artists and artists of color by uh, Three Arts. So mm -hmm. that's supported by the Three Arts Foundation. And um, I got three grants from the Illinois Council before they had closed down in 2000, between 2012, 10 and 2013. So I got, um, and then they have the city arts grants that um, give money out to certain projects. And also the city park, I'm working with the city park to do site-specific dances. And so I get support there. Mm -hmm. And I do um, also a lot of um, fundraising on social media. There's um, um, Hatch Funds, which was owned by United States artists. Mm -hmm. It's uh, focused on fundraising for the arts and it's a non-for-profit. So you can put your project on there and, um, and then ask for donations. Um, and it's uh, also tax deductible for your followers. So I, got to raise money for my around the world projects through that, through just like private uh, donations mm. from people that um, follow my work and believe in my work. And yeah. So that's sort of so like a, a yeah, crowdfunding kind of, kind of yes, model. Yes, crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. That's it. <clears throat> I did fundraise on crowdfunding, I think um, over maybe in total 80,000 just from the crowdfunding? Yeah, like uh -huh. different times at different uh -huh. times for different projects. Okay, so, so 80,000 in total. Yeah. Fund. And one of the biggest was the Around the World mm. project, which we fundraised 26,000 just alone for that project. That's pretty good. It's, yeah. It's always an interesting conversation about uh, these crowdfunding. <laughs> opportunities and models uh when it relates to the arts because usually you know you see when uh you know uh, 
an entrepreneur develops a product or something like a new backpack that's supposed to be high tech and you know has all these you know uh, best backpack in the world kind of thing and puts it on a GoFundMe sort of thing that mm -hmm. those who contribute are buying into it and they can get like the first release or of whatever the product, but with the performing arts, that's not necessarily the case that they can go see it, especially if it's not, if they're donating from around the world. So some, I've heard that some artists, you know, have struggled with how to figure out the best way to, to leverage that crowdfunding and yeah. get folks who don't know them to, to donate. So with, uh, with the dancing around the world, what I did was, um, I, made videos along the way that um, people had access to on YouTube. So mm -hmm. we did like short uh, films that sort of gave them a taste of um, that city with the people that we worked on and uh, um, also a little taste of the performance. Um, so that was also one incentive for people to um, sort of be part of it mm -hmm. from the distance, get to see cities in um from the, I guess, the comfort of their homes. Mm -hmm. uh, and we went to places that were not very safe, like El Salvador, one of the most dangerous cities. And we did a site-specific um, dance piece. And there is um, like there is no um, walking community because people are so afraid mm -hmm. to walk in their city to different places that everybody just sort of uh, drives um, from one um place that they know to another place that they know but they don't venture out because uh, of the gang violence mm -hmm. in El Salvador mm -hmm. and and we did a, a dance performance uh, in public places there and so that was a big deal but um how was people, that received did people come out for it um actually people the dancers and their friends came out but we had more press um the the press was our audience then people still the locals yeah oh. and <laughs> i was we had like the i think the entire um um press community like uh, watching the performance and mm -hmm. filming it and interviewing it but uh, audiences were sparse i hmm. would say um but it was also new but now i see also that um, artists from there are doing it and continue doing it and um, um, empowering them to uh, sort of take over the streets and take over there. So the, um, the local city. artists have taken ownership over the yeah, and are continuing which is nice. it, which is perpetuated. That's wonderful. And um, same happened in uh, Tegucigalpa when I went there in 2009 first. I did a project there and then they invited me back to do a site-specific project uh, with the artists, local artists in uh, Tegucigalpa. And uh, when we did it, we had the audience walk from one place to another and experience art um, and dances in different uh, spaces in their own city. And people were so grateful. They were like, I was so afraid to walk in my city. And this gave me like a chance to see and walk mm. in my own city and appreciate the beauty and so that was very moving hmm. to see when you were uh still in dc uh this were you doing site specific work here as well or is this more of a a more recent thing since you've 
left? No, actually, I uh, uh, experimented. I started in D.C. during okay. that in 2007. Um, I was doing uh, these site-specific pieces, My uh, one of my first couple attempts um, to take my dancers around. Like on Dupont Circle, we did a, a couple of movement experiments, and we were just experimenting, but people just stopped, and they were like, oh, I've been walking this path for the last 10 years I haven't seen it really but this dance just um, made me pay attention mm. and I will never rem uh, forget this moment and so that was also great um, to just see how it kind of disrupted people in a good way mm. where they just had to pay attention and uh, be uh, sort of present for the um, moment that they were in kind of interesting sometimes you're like in your head and you walk mm. in a place and you, you arrive in your destination and you haven't seen anything else and, and what in year between. was that? What, what year uh, that, was was, that was early 2007 okay i yeah i even have a, a still a youtube video that i made um, from those scenes that it's called dancing with dc because uh -huh. um, that would I be like think. that'd be sort of early on in the in yeah. smartphones you know, taking over. No, I use I used camcorder, uh -huh. like video camcorder. Um, right. it, but the quality is still not as good. You can go and see it on YouTube, but uh -huh. um, it's sort of like um, a not good quality visually. But you can kind of get a feel for it. I, I mentioned that because you know nowadays in DC and probably other cities everywhere, uh, people walking on the streets oftentimes are very much engrossed in their cell phones, their smartphones, listening mm -hmm. to music and reading. So it's it would be interesting to see that piece or something similar to it done today, where there's even more of this sort of blocking out the, the yeah. world around us and how the, the art, the performance could break people out of that and make them yeah. pick their heads up and look around. Definitely. What I what I find today is when uh, when we do site specific dances that people then instead of looking and experiencing it, they pull out their cell phones and they film it right. and they and they look at it through their through, through like, a cell phone <laughs> through a lens. Yeah. which is sort of funny too. But that's the time, I guess. You can't uh, kind of change it. Um, but uh, now I'm experimenting, like with involving actually the audiences, and so they can't just um, watch it; they have to be participants in it. Um, so, so they have to put the phone down. That's my new tactic. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're attempting to get the audiences to put their phones down and actually enjoy and Dance participate. And enjoy, yes, and participate with simple tasks that they have to do, like. Um, last year I did a piece in the Garden of the Phoenix, um, which started with this new sculpture that they had built, um, Yoko Ono's um, sculpture in, mm. uh, in the Jackson Park in the south of Chicago, south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, people had to like uh, move within the sculpture to see the dance and mm. also... Um, move themselves in it uh, in simple ways. And uh, so they didn't have uh, the time to pull out their cell phones. <laughs> and then they, they had to follow the dancers. And then uh, we came to a wish tree and they had to do a wish and write down their wishes for 
um, the community or the garden or themselves and the and then they had to follow another dancer to experience in different places. So um, it it was, yeah, but it's still people were like, oh, I need to film this <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to remember instead of to experience this, experience it to remember. Right. They had to like, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what's going to happen to our memories when uh, we get older because everything is now documented through a lens, but mm-hmm. uh, not through our own uh, brain and memory. <laughs> And hopefully we don't forget where we saved those files so we can exactly or they or they don't get corrupted or something <laughs> so what sort of you've had a, a very you know wonderful career you've done a lot of great things you've been able to travel with your work um, mm-hmm. what sort of you know advice or suggestions thoughts do you have for the younger generation of artists either here in DC or or anywhere in the country um I think if you um it, it's just uh when you want to be a choreographer or a dancer it's not an easy um job because it's not like you're making a product and you're selling it but it's uh, an experience you are providing to people and so it's not always uh, valued and it's not always supported, but if you believe in your work and uh, the importance of uh, your creations, um, not to give up when you don't receive um, the funds that you need and try to find solutions rather than giving up. Some of the younger generations, um, when they don't get right away support, then they get frustrated and they give up. But uh, just to continue um, with your vision and uh, support will come and maybe think out of the box. If um, like I could have given up easily. I'm like, Oh, the arts council in um, Chicago is uh, doesn't give money. I can't do my work, but I had to find new ways to mm-hmm. create and continue. Mm-hmm. And it's always, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't go like a, that the career doesn't go straight up all the time. It's sort of like a wave. It comes and goes. Sometimes you're on the top and sometimes you're in the middle and sometimes you're on the down and then you go up again. <laughs> so not to give up in the, the times where it gets harder. Yeah. And that's something that we've heard from, from many guests on this uh, podcast series and just, you know, artists in general, I think you, you have to have that determination and that, you know, if you want to make it, you, you make it, you know, you got to make it happen yeah. for yourself sort of thing. So it's, you know, exactly. In, in some ways, you know, whenever I ask this question, I kind of know the answer is going to be, but that yeah. to not give up. But at the same time, it's always, you know, I think it's always good to hear for, you know, those of us that are in the arts and, you know, those are up and coming in the arts that to, to yeah. keep on, you know, trying doing the work, you know, to make it happen. And really doing it because you're just going to learn by doing it mm-hmm. and not by um, waiting for something to happen for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a key point of it, especially as you said that, you know, there's a, a tendency sometimes when we, if we don't get it, you know, we, if we don't achieve success right off the bat, we're discouraged and we don't want to just give up. But yeah. it's not only that, but it's like, you know, you can't make the art just in your mind alone. You actually have to go out and do it physically. 
know. Yeah. Um, and then you will fail, and that's good. You can mm-hmm. learn from it, not to give up when you have a failure, but just like, how can I make it now different? What can I learn from this? And how can I get to the next uh, level mm-hmm. without, yeah, giving up too soon before yeah, the. Sometimes that's where the best lessons for the artists come from is the, yeah. the failures. Yeah, definitely. Any any final thoughts, anything else that you'd like to share with us that uh, we haven't uh, gotten a chance to cover today? No, not really. Just um, I see a lot of like young artists um, sort of because of social media copying other people and wanting mm. to be like other people, but uh, maybe to... Uh, encourage them to really listen to their voices and visions and be courageous to be different, not to be like somebody else, but finding their own voices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How how do you um, encourage that? Mm-hmm. I think DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities giving support for artists to do that. It's a, a great way to be experimental and to be unique and to um, try and be risky. Well, Najla, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. And uh, it was wonderful to hear your story. And it's so great to to hear about the, the successes that you've had and how the commission was able to play some part in making those successes happen for you. Mm, thank you so much and keep up the good work. <laughs> thank you. You keep up the good work as well. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the Arts and Humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today. Thank you.